Greetings, and welcome to Pragmatic Live, Pragmatic Marketing's webinar and podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product teams. I'm Kelly LaPointe, Content Specialist at Pragmatic Marketing, and today's host. Before we get started, let's go through a couple of quick housekeeping items. First, a recording of this webinar and a copy of the slides will be available after today's event. You'll be able to access, access them at pragmaticmarketing.com live starting tomorrow, and we'll send out an email with a link to the recording as well. Second, questions. We love questions. If this is your first webinar, webinar or just forgot since the last time, look at the bottom of the screen for a series of round icons. If you click on the one with the three dots, you can select Q&A to ask any and all questions as we go through the presentation. We'll get through as many as possible at the end of today's event. Now, I know many of you are already pretty familiar with Pragmatic Marketing, but for those of you who are new, welcome to the family. At Pragmatic Marketing, we specialize in training companies and product teams on how to be truly market-driven. We provide techniques and tools you need to really listen to your market, gather market facts, and use those facts to shape strategies and drive execution. And we're doing quite successfully, we've been doing it quite successfully, I might add, for 25 years. Each month on our webinar, we dive deep into the topics that matter most to you, bringing insights, best practices, and stories from experts in the field. And this month, we're digging into competitive intelligence and how you can use buyer experiences to ensure a successful product launch. And helping us do that today are Ellie Merman, CMO of Crayon, and Brian Dunn, VP of Product at Crayon. Welcome, Ellie and Brian. Thank you so much, Kelly. Uh, great to be here. Really excited to be talking about this topic. Uh, as Kelly mentioned, my name is Ellie Merman. I am our Chief Marketing Officer here at Crayon. Uh, we are a market and competitive intelligence company. Uh, I lead all of our marketing efforts. Uh, included in that is some of our own competitive intelligence, but as you can imagine, being a CI-focused company, all of us are involved. And as we'll talk about, CI incorporates, uh, gets incorporated into all different departments, so we're definitely going to be diving into that today. And I'm Brian Dunn. I'm VP of Product here at Crayon, so I'm responsible for uh, the product management organization as well as user experience. Uh, and like Ellie said, um, competitive intelligence is something that really flows through the entire organization here at Crayon, and we'll talk a little bit today about um, uh, how we launch products with that in mind. Great. Well, let's dive in. Uh, so here is our agenda for today's webinar. Uh, we are going to be first walking through a bit of the product launch process, get on the same page about what we mean about all the different steps involved there, and how competitive intelligence or CI factors into each of those steps. Uh, so you can see through our agenda, we are going to walk through each of those phases uh, and then talk about how CI can be factored into each. Our goal really is to get as tactical as possible so that you can walk away with a bit of a checklist for your own organizations and how you can start to incorporate CI into your product launches. And then uh, at the end, we'll actually share a little bit of a case study. Uh, we recently launched a, a new product ourselves, uh, so we'll talk through a bit about how we put all of this into practice. Uh, and some of the results that we've seen so far so that you can start to get a bit more of a feel of uh, a real-life example of how this all works. We would love for this to be interactive. Uh, we will take questions, uh, particularly at the end. We'll save some time there. And uh, if you have questions along the way, feel free to shoot them over. We'll, we'll gather them up and uh, make sure that we get to as many as possible. 
All right. So let's talk about the product launch process. So ultimately, uh, this is the kind of the outline of our uh, discussion today. Um, product launches don't come from uh, you know, the middle of nowhere. Uh, they all start with some sort of opportunity for your business. Um, so when we talk about the opportunity assessment, uh, we're going to be talking about where do these ideas come from, what products can we build, when, what should we be building, uh, when should we be building, what is the real impact that it would have on our organization, um, really evaluating that, um, that opportunity for the business. Um, then we're going to talk about the development and testing phase. By that, it's about prototyping and user testing and understanding uh, get that user feedback before ultimately that launch. Um, then we're going to talk about the, the prep phase. So preparing for that launch, it doesn't all uh, happen overnight. So thinking through all the different pieces that we need, all the different assets, all the different internal uh, preparation that we need to do. And then finally, launch day and post-launch, so actually executing on all of that and then measuring the results and iterating, right? It's, it's not over just on launch day, um, so we'll talk a little bit about the, the post-launch steps as well. And then when we talk about competitive intelligence, uh, what we mean is any information about your competitors' products, their companies, their teams, uh, their go-to-market, all of that different information that you can gather and analyze ultimately for the purpose of impacting your organization and all the different initiatives that you have across every single department. So of course, competitive intelligence can influence every single uh, stakeholder inside of the organization from the executives to the marketing team, the sales team, the services team, the product team, every single company or every single team within the company can really take advantage of competitive intelligence. And we're going to be taking the lens of the product launch. So obviously all these different teams are involved in product launches to various degrees. We're going to try to touch on each of them, um, obviously with a focus of marketing and products, since those are the folks we, uh, that often lead the charge when it comes to product launches. So uh, we are excited to, to dive into how competitive intelligence can be used in your product launch. Before we uh, start off into the, the first phase here, we'd love to launch a poll, um, get a little bit of a sense of who we have on the call and what sort of competitive intelligence you're doing today. Uh, so the screen, uh, the poll should be popping up on your screen. Uh, what we'd love to hear is how often do you do competitive intelligence or analysis during your current product launch process? You know, give us a, a sense of where you're starting today. Uh, so that we can tailor the content to uh, who we've got on the call. All right, I believe we've got some responses coming in. We'll give it another uh, few seconds here. Make sure that all the stragglers get their votes in. We've got some folks who are often uh, doing competitive intelligence throughout the product launch process, which is fantastic, about a quarter of the responses. Um, and then another quarter coming from those folks who, uh, who really just do it at the beginning. So that's great. Um, we've got kind of a mix of folks, so hopefully everyone can walk away with a couple of new ideas for incorporating CI at the different phases of the launch. 
So um, from the uh, from the product perspective, uh, you know, the the product management team is in part um, tasked with finding things that are valuable, usable, and feasible. Um, the there's never a shortage of good ideas to work on, um, and one of the things with competitive intelligence, I think, you know, a lot of product managers would tell you uh, it's very dangerous to chase um, competitive features and and play kind of the uh, uh, the feature building game with a lot of the market. Um, however, it is really valuable to sort of um, take a step back and think about what is different about your company, how you can build differentiated value. So the way that we do that at Crayon and at previous companies that I've worked at is uh, we try to boil everything back into a into a problem statement. So we run opportunity assessments for any ideas that people have about building something, about solving some problem in the market, and we boil it back to a problem statement. Um, and then we discuss why that problem might be worth solving. Um, so it, just to give you an example, um, you know, if you were a social network uh, in the consumer space, you might have uh, want to drive growth uh, and get users to share more content and create more content. Um, and you know there might be a bunch of ideas, uh, ways that you could you could deliver that. Um, Snapchat did this in 2016, and they launched uh, a feature called Stories, which was a huge driver in growth for them. Uh, unfortunately, uh, so they they saw a growth spike a lot right after that feature launched. Uh, however, Instagram came in and copied the exact feature uh, and added it to their product, and it cut Snapchat's growth in half immediately. So there's this um, kind of thread throughout, you can, there's many stories like that, where uh, maybe it still made sense for Snapchat to build that, and that's you know, gonna, be, gonna be a drive of growth, and just because Instagram had it, has it, it doesn't matter. But there's really this, this third question, which a lot of companies don't ask themselves, is why should we solve this problem? Why should we build this feature? Why does it make sense for us? What differentiated value are we gonna create for our company and for our customers? Um, so we're gonna go through how, how we've done that um, uh, a little bit, how we continue to ask ourselves our, these questions through the process. So throughout this phase, um, you know, for those of you that say you do uh, uh, a lot of intelligence, competitive intelligence um, up front, uh, you know, understanding competitive options um, and what you're winning and losing by. So, uh, you know, looking in Salesforce or whatever your CRM or uh, way that you're tracking your wins and losses, you know, are you are you losing because you're missing key features that you should be filling in? Uh, is a competitor's product perceived as easier to use? Does a competitive product have meaningful differentiation um, in, in some way? So, you know, w one of the things that, you know, if you were to take the other side of that first story, if you're Facebook and you look at, you know, uh, Snapchat, uh, you know, gaining, gaining ground on Instagram, and you say, wow, it would be just really easy to, to deliver the exact same feature and continue to keep our market share, uh, that's an easy way to go, right? And you're going to understand that through win-loss analysis. Um, in B2B, that might be something like, you know, you might see a lot of uh, prospect citing lack of enterprise security features or uh, something that's unique to your space that's causing a competitor to, to win um, deals that, that you've been in. Uh, the next thing we, we look at uh, pretty deeply is um, customer interviews. So we try to do a lot of qualitative analysis to understand and validate the problem that we're solving. Um, so, uh, you know, customers that, um, uh, that you have today, they might be solving, a, uh, you know, solving this problem um, 
in a way that, uh, you know, they have a current solution, maybe that's not another product, maybe that's something that they uh, kind of kind of do that's an opportunity that um, uh, there aren't other products that are addressing. Uh, there might be a lot of, you know, we ask about what the downsides are, how happy are they with the existing solution. Um, so, uh, you know, an example of something that might have happened in Google's offices, as you see, you see Bill Gates here. Um, you know, Google saw a huge downside uh, to Microsoft Office, the sort of collaborative nature of um, uh, how you send back and forth documents over email and collaborate. That's, that's a huge uh, pain, but it wasn't a pain that was necessarily something that, that was obvious without really talking to customers, understanding their workflow, uh, what, observing them uh, try, to, you know, try to work with uh, MS Office. Um, and Google introduced Google Docs, which is you know, a much lighter feature set focused on collaboration, and they've eaten into that market a great deal. Uh, so there are a lot of these insights that you're going to get through qualitative analysis. Um, another kind of trick here that we often use, uh, prospects that didn't choose your product for one reason or another are often a great source. Um, the, it is uh, amazing how many times you call up somebody that uh, chose not to um, buy your product and ask to just have a 30-minute conversation and they'll take that call. Really, they, they want you know, everybody in that, in that marketplace to be delivering better products, better solutions for them, so they're willing to take that time. So don't shy away from that opportunity to get on the phone with not only you know, your existing customers, but also customers that didn't go your way. Uh, the, next, uh, the next thing that we do is look at uh, customer reviews. So there's uh, a lot of sites out there that uh, post, post reviews, and um, nobody likes to tell somebody to their face that their, their product is bad. Uh, so you often, in that qualitative analysis, you have to suss through somebody trying to make you feel okay that you know, they didn't choose your product or that they, you can do something for them that uh, maybe they don't fully buy. Uh, you won't have that problem in customer reviews, I'll tell you that, because uh, you really get lit up out there. Um, so if you look at you know, whether it's your solution or a competitive solution, what are the things that are really working with it? What are the things that aren't working with it? There's a ton of signal in there uh, that might be really interesting to kind of get your arms around the, the uh, problem space and the number of possible solutions to that problem. Uh, and then we always, it, you know, it's always helpful. You have to continue to kind of go deep, try to, you know, really understand, are you developing uh, a solution to a really important problem? Or are you going to solve it in a unique way? And you want to get really into the weeds and look at customer views, talk to customers, uh, look at the win-loss analysis. You have to pull yourself back uh, periodically and look at, you know, okay, if we, based on what we know now after all that analysis, how do we think this is going to impact sales? How do we think it's going to impact retention? Is it going to give us more market share? Is it going to increase our prices? What additional revenue can we make? Do we think this is a stickier feature that, um, uh, that if we build, you know, it'd be harder for customers to kind of move to another solution so easily? So you have to kind of keep reorienting yourself around. You don't want to get wrapped too much into the problem. You want to kind of continue to take a step back and look at the market dynamics uh, as well. And speaking of market dynamics, um, you know, if you always want to kind of put things in the context of, you know, where do we think, what's the macro picture here? Where do we think the market is headed? Uh, where do we think it's going to be in the next five years? What do we think, uh, you know, the, is going to separate the winners from the losers? Um, and how are we going to build a product that uh, on, any, uh, on any competitive landscape is going to nail you in that top right quadrant?
Um, so often, uh, you know, we're we're looking at you know what where do we really think uh, the market is going for a particular uh, for the space that that we're in, and is this effort going to move us to the top right? Is it going to be something that's just kind of a, a checkbox feature? Is it something that's a nice to have that really isn't going to move the needle? Um, and so continuing to look at you know uh, the context about where your competitors are, where the market's shifting. Uh, is really helpful to make you uh, to get you to focus on what the highest leverage uh, opportunities are are to drive forward. Um, and then you know there there are also these giant shifts that happen. Uh, so you can see uh, SAP acquiring Qualtrics last weekend. Um, you know these things happen all the time and they they shake the foundation a little bit, right? If you're competing with Qualtrics, what does it mean that they were acquired by SAP? How does it affect your strategy? If you were competing with SAP, does this does them getting into customer experience with this acquisition change how you think about your space? So continue to orient around the market dynamics. Uh, then we get into development and testing. So um, we're big fans here of, you know, even if you feel like you really understand the problem and, and understand how to solve that problem for your customers in the market, uh, you want to make sure. Um, so there's many approaches that we take depending on the effort, uh, prototypes, short feedback loops, um, user testing, beta programs. Uh, we take a look at the pricing. In, uh, as we get into um, user testing, uh, there's a couple of different sides to this. So you want to test you know, your solution. Uh, you want to be thinking about whether your hypothesis is correct. Are you able to solve this problem in a really unique and impactful way? Or you know, are you just drinking your own Kool-Aid and you, you think that uh, your idea is so great that it's just going to work as soon as you give it to the market. Um, often that's not the case, and so you have to do the, uh, do the diligence. The other piece is testing uh, competitive solutions along with your own, right? So it's, again, you know, taking a step back. It, once you kind of understand, you know, you have a, a good handle on how this is going to work for your, for your customers, how you might solve it, what, what's what they're going to be happy with, what you're, you know, unsure about, what assumptions are kind of baked in there. Do you really think that, you know, this, if you're bringing something that's really differentiated and impactful, do you still believe that after kind of running through with your customers uh, how you're going to solve that, right? And if the answer to that's no, uh, it's often the case that we'll just kill that effort right there. So if, you know, your initial hypothesis might have put you in the top right of any competitive um, landscape, uh, it's often during this phase that you find out really how far that's going to move the needle. Um, you should be willing to kind of back out of things that, um, uh, that you know, you had a hypothesis, the hypothesis wasn't proven, and you can either keep iterating or, or back out. And that's, um, it's always the right thing to do if you feel like you've, you know, your assumptions haven't been validated. Um, and as you do move forward, you know, uh, getting the beta feedback, um, you, you want to have that conversation and, and decide, uh, you know, is, is this going to move the needle here? To where do we see this uh, moving? How, what features do we think uh, we're going to need for, for, to get real good customer adoption, to hit those, um, those success criteria that we outlined in, the, uh, uh, in our opportunity assessment? If we're expecting 50% of our users to adopt this feature, do we really feel like that's, that's the case right now? Um, an example, you know, uh, if, if you were, if I was working at Facebook, uh, they recently launched Marketplace. Um, you know, one of their hypotheses, one of their hypotheses, pardon me, uh, might be that you know there's 
it, Craigslist is still around out there. It's uh, one of the ugliest things that, that you'll ever see, but um, it still drives a, a ton of people to it. Um, you know, Facebook has this competitive advantage and they have all of these eyeballs. Uh, so they probably one of their hypotheses is that all of those eyeballs on Facebook, if they just added a marketplace there, people would leverage that marketplace rather than going to Craigslist. Um, as you're going through your beta, you want to continue to go back and look at those assumptions and say, do we still believe this is true based on what we know now? And, and should we move forward or not? So that's what we're doing typically during the beta phase. Yeah, and this is a, a great opportunity for, for marketing to start jumping in if they haven't already. I think a lot of the, uh, the process that the product team is going through, through that opportunity assessment phase and the development and testing phase, there's a lot of great input for marketing to start to think about things that will come later on, right? Things around messaging and differentiation and, and where this product fits into the market. And a lot of that kind of raw material can turn into a lot of the marketing material down the line. Um, but even starting to get uh, pretty tactical uh, at this phase too, uh, in regards to pricing, right? Starting to almost do the, the prep before the, the pre-launch uh, to start to figure out what should we be doing in terms of pricing this new uh, product or feature or what have you. Uh, and so key part of the competitive intelligence aspect here is looking at what people are already paying for, uh, for something that solves this problem. Or what are the other solutions charging, and how is that actually working for them and, and their growth? Um, so now's a great time to start to uh, evaluate and kind of take stock of those different options, what they price at, and start to think about what makes sense for your organization. You might find that different pricing model works better. You might realize that a different price point works better. But you need to understand what that context is and start to get that real feedback of what people have paid and why. Uh, in order to have that input for a kind of a smart decision on your own pricing decisions. All right, um, we're about to go into the pre-launch phase, and since we're starting to talk about these different departments, uh, we want to uh, run a poll um, about uh, to get a better understanding of inside of your organization who is doing competitive intelligence. Uh, so you'll see that poll uh, pop up there. Uh, it'd be great to get your feedback. Uh, would love to know who leads the charge on competitive intelligence. We've seen everything <laughs> across the board, uh, and it can change the flavor of the competitive intelligence that you end up using or how it gets across to other departments. Uh, but we're, we're curious to learn from you what your organization is doing. So Ellie, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about um, like who uh, who you're like within your within your marketplace you should be looking at specifically. Is it direct competitors? Mm. Uh, is it much more kind of the small emerging competitors that you think are maybe a little bit more technical, um, or is it kind of the, the the big elephant in the you know in the space who who you're trying to you know, seem somewhat immovable? Who who do you think we should be looking at when we're doing these competitive analyses? Yeah. Uh, great question. I think uh, all of the above is the short answer, um, but I think that each of those different groups or each group of competitors can uh, provide different types of input, right? You've got your direct competitors that come up in sales cycles all the time. You have your indirect competitors that you hear about a lot in the space, but you probably don't go head to head. Uh, your partners might even fit into that bucket. 
Um, and then also the aspirational competitors. Uh, I think that those are the folks that a lot of people forget about, um, but those can often be, you know, it might be the Googles or Amazons of the world, uh, you know, big organizations that you don't compete with, but if they start to get into your space, uh, you would be worried, so you kind of want to take stock of them. Uh, but it can also be companies that are closer to your, uh, to your world who you don't compete with but uh, are doing something tangential. Maybe they have a similar audience, uh, maybe they have a product for a different industry, but it's the same type of product. You can learn a lot from them, and you don't have to be competitive with them. So you might even be able to connect with them, you know, start to talk about, uh, start to exchange ideas together. Uh, there's a lot of great input that you can take there. But the the whole point is to come away with that lesson, that action that you want to take inside of your product launch, and all of those different audiences or all of those different uh, kind of competitors to look at uh, can can provide that input. All right, um, had some good amount of time for that that poll. Let's see our results. Let's see who's uh, who has been doing the competitive analysis inside of your organizations. All right, oh, so it looks like overwhelming majority, or you know, the majority for sure, is the products team. Uh, I wonder if we have a lot of product folks on the call. I, I figured it would be a mix of product and marketing folks on the call. Um, but product is, is taking the lead. Great to see that involvement. So, Brian, you want to run <laughs> our CI now? <laughs> um, uh, we've also got a lot of marketers involved, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, I've seen that. I've seen sometimes sales. I mean, that's why sales is on here, but it looks like a few folks on the call have their sales teams leading the charge, but I've seen a lot of companies have someone inside their sales organization um, pushing forward on CI just because it's so directly impactful for them. Uh, it's all about who has the most use for that information. Yeah, and, and a lot of times it comes down to, you know, uh, not only who's running it, but how they democratize mm -hmm. that information and, and make it actionable for the rest of the uh, rest of the organization. So, you know, not not totally surprising that, that sales had a low percentage. They're typically one of the best users of competitive intelligence, but not necessarily people that are, that are leading the charge. Yeah. All right. Well... Great to see that. Um, as we head into our pre-launch phase, when you know dev team is, is digging in and getting that uh, product ready to launch, and the marketing team really starts to get their act in gear. Uh, so a couple of the things that are involved in this phase of the launch process. First off, it's goal setting, understanding what is it that we want to achieve with this launch, do we want to drive a certain amount of upgrade revenue or brand new revenue because it's a brand new feature or a brand new product for a new segment? Or is it more about usage? Is it more about a certain amount of awareness in a new space? Starting to think through each of those goals uh, so that we can um, have, have those targets. And this can relate back to that opportunity assessment at the very beginning. If there were certain criteria that pointed the organization to say, yes, we should do this, that's a great that's great input for what the goals could be uh, going into the launch. Uh, campaign planning, figuring out all the different assets, all of the different outreach plans, all the different promotion plans, and actually creating some of that content, creating that messaging, crafting that, and uh, then internally enabling your teams. Um, you know, sales is definitely a big audience for that, but even services organizations and the broader team as a whole. Uh, the rest of marketing uh, as well, you know, certainly there are often folks in marketing who lead the product launch process from the marketing perspective, but others in marketing might not be in the loop 
as much. So part of that internal enablement is including every single department. So in terms of how CI factors into this phase, uh, as I mentioned, goal setting. So of course, you can go in and say, we want to get more revenue <laughs> through this launch. Uh, but you need a bit of a, a benchmark and understanding of the context that you're working in to know what a good goal is, right? Uh, so you can often look at uh, you know, past uh, activity in terms of win-loss rates, for example. If this launch is supposed to really help with improving our, our win rates against a certain competitor who has uh, functionality that we didn't previously, you want to see that impact. Uh, maybe you want to get just top of the funnel, lead generation volume, more people for the sales team to talk to. Uh, then maybe your goals are around trials started or demos requested. Uh, maybe it's more on the awareness side, so you want to get content views uh, or press coverage. Um, but then, of course, uh, looking at the actual revenue that comes through, whether it be from new customers, but also upgrades uh, from existing customers, uh, and then product usage and adoption. Uh, what's interesting is, you know, you talk to, to folks, especially in product marketing, because that's kind of my lens, uh, you ask about what goals they have, and they list off all of these, right? It's like, oh, we would do this and this and this and this and this. And that is great that they're thinking about all the different ways that this launch can help impact the business, uh, but it's really helpful to, to focus that in a bit more and, uh, and have some clarity about what is the number one goal, even within a list of five to ten other goals, that is most important to us because that's what you can get the team rallied behind. That's what you can get um, the company as a whole uh, to understand the impact of this launch, which will support both marketing and product. And we'll get to the example um, later on uh, from our own recent launch, but one of the things that, that we did for our uh, recent launch was that we actually shared between marketing and product a lot of the same KPIs. Uh, and that can be a great way to align the two teams and really rally the whole organization around a launch. Um, and then uh, digging into your own campaign planning, you need to understand how your competitors also launch products. Um, so this is something that you can and should be doing on an ongoing basis, uh, monitoring how they launch products and essentially taking notes. Um, one of the great ways to do this, or one of the great outputs of this is uh, looking at what content they publish, looking at what outlets uh, mention their release or what outlets they have reached out to as part of their release. Um, and then, of course, uh, just kind of their overall playbook of uh, content, messaging, uh, demand gen, PR, all of those different aspects that you also want to do. You can start to uh, come up with ideas that you know, are sparked by, by their campaigns. Um, but then you also figure out ways to differentiate your own campaign based on their go-to-market approach. Um, so this is something that you can definitely be doing on an ongoing basis. If you haven't done it previously, you can start with their most recent launch and kind of work backwards. Um, but this can be great input for uh, figuring out your own campaign plan. And then uh, internal enablement. Uh, this is a, another great opportunity to partner with the product team. Uh, so, uh, you know, everything from sales training to sales collateral, uh, you know, taking a look at the competitive landscape for this product and how yours is differentiated, what the key selling points are, figuring out all that messaging in the context of the other solutions available 
uh, and then sharing that back out with the team. Uh, so we often uh, will tag team those uh, internal enablement uh, aspects so that we can cover both the, the high-level messaging, but also the competitive landscape, and then also down to the details of all the, the product technical aspects. Um, so another great area where it kind of crosses over between the different teams. Um, and then uh, finally, in terms of the, uh, the pre-launch step, is thinking through uh, kind of the two sides of the coin, the, the new business approach, as well as the existing business upgrade and retention plan. Um, so figuring out, is this a, a great opportunity in terms of upgrading our existing customers, or is it simply a way for us to retain existing customers? Maybe you're not actually charging more for this, this new launch, uh, but you can uh, really create a campaign around retention. So again, going back to that goal setting, you want to think through what is most important. Is it new business? Is it retention? Is it upgrades? Uh, that can really direct the different campaign assets that you're doing. And uh, one of the key pieces that you can think through here uh, in terms of kind of the competitive landscape is, are you losing customers to your competitors, right? Uh, unless you have a 100% retention rate, uh, you likely are losing uh, some of your customers to competitors. What are the reasons? Why? How do you get ahead of those? How can this launch help support that? And how can you proactively go to, of course, the at-risk customers, but really trying to get the customers before they're at risk? Uh, we actually recently did a webinar just on this topic. Uh, so if you're interested in diving deeper into it, we'll, we'll share the link uh, to the recorded webinar. It was actually just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, really dove into uh, how to use competitive intelligence to reduce churn and uh, increase retention. All right, we've made it to launch day. All right. Big pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but now comes the, the even harder part, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing, you know, you get you get to launch and, uh, you know, I think the, the theme through through my talking points anyway has been, you know, you're, you're, there's checks, you're, you're always measuring how things are, are going and, and orienting yourself around the market uh, all through the process from idea right through execution and beyond. Um, so, you know, there's nothing that's going to uh, get you, uh, you know, uh, provide some... Uh, uh, some reality than actually watching the metrics at, at launch. Um, you know, you go through beta. Uh, if you're B2C, uh, you know, depending on how you've run your beta, you probably are working with customers. A lot of those customers are excited. But once you get it out there into the, the hands of the market, uh, watching the impact on, you know, win-loss rate, on retention, uh, your usage metrics, that's where you're really, really, really going to learn, um, you know, how impactful this is. Uh, there's actually... Uh, there are companies like Basecamp that um, believe they, you know, they they do not do any testing of their product internally. They always roll everything out, let the market tell them exactly what um, uh, how this thing works. Uh, versus, you know, having the conversations up front. Um, I think that's that's a little bit aggressive. Uh, but um, there's uh, there is that. Uh, no matter how much diligence you do, you want to be, you know, measuring the impact and making sure that. You know, do were all of our assumptions correct? Which ones worked? Which ones didn't? You know, is this thing really having an impact on our on our win loss rate? Is it really having an impact on retention? And and if so, you know, if it is, that that's great. Continue to push. Uh, if it's not, you know, what are the things? What are those gaps that that you need to fill um, that you that you missed along the way? Yeah. 
another big piece of kind of looking at that those results uh, is also looking at how the landscape has changed, right? So uh, chances are your competitors are not going to be sitting still. Uh, they are going to respond in some way. And that might be in terms of some of their own content. Uh, you know, maybe they start uh, changing the nature of their messaging. Maybe they start publishing more content or re-promoting content, re-promoting that product that is more directly uh, competitive with you. Uh, you also want to see if any of their pricing changes, right? Especially since a lot of your uh, your campaign, your internal enablement is based on the existing landscape before the launch, you need to understand how that landscape is changing because you might need to adjust some things as well, right? If your messaging was differentiated at the time of launch, but then your competitors then change their messaging, so yours is less differentiated, you need to have a conversation about what that means for yours and if you need to make some adjustments. Um, and so, uh, you know, certainly monitoring what they're doing, seeing how they respond specifically in this area can be a great way or a great lens for that uh, that retrospective for the launch to understand, uh, you know, how did it work and what do we want to do next for the next phase. Um, and then another piece of that is uh, talking with the sales team. Uh, you know, as Brian mentioned, kind of looking at those win-loss rates, uh, both of course, at the, the aggregate level of seeing what the impact is on the business, but even starting to get some of the qualitative uh, anecdotal feedback from the sales team can help uncover, all right, is the nature of these conversations different? Uh, how are you working on, you know, how are the conversations with this new type of persona or as you're demoing this? Uh, you might need to do more follow-up training. Uh, you might need to, uh, you know, create new materials for a different set, uh, for a different vertical or a different set of uh, personas. Um, you want to get that feedback as quickly as possible while the launch is still kind of riding that initial wave um, and then see how that needs to be adjusted over time um, to, to kind of fit into your, your, overall, um, your overall sales and marketing and product plans. Which gets us actually to the last piece, which is around the long-term impact, right? Uh, of course, we, work, we all work so hard to get this launch out the door. Uh, we all feel so great once it's out there, but now the product's out there. Right? It's, it's not like it goes away a week later. Um, there is a longer term, term impact, hopefully, um, and the, the landscape continues to change. So um, you know, certainly do that retrospective, understand what worked about the launch, what didn't, and how the competitors are responding, uh, how that win-loss rate is improving, and then think about what you want to do overall, uh, you know, longer term, and how this product fits into the overall suite that you're promoting or how, it, uh, how much you want to promote and push this new product over time versus other aspects. Um, and then on the product side, of course, iterating on it, right? Um, Brian will be the first person to, to say that it's, it's not about the product that you launched today, it's about how you iterate and improve over time. Um, so there's a, uh, it's important to, to keep a, a note on that. It's great to kind of tie up the launch with a bow. Uh, once it's done, pat yourself on the back and congratulate your team. But um, you know, figure out what that long-term view is. Did you know that according to a recent third-party study from Tech Validate, the average attendee at Pragmatic Marketing reduces their time to market by more than 25%? Get time back on your side and register today at pragmaticmarketing.com slash buy. We promised 
a, a case study, a bit of a real life example that we've been living in for the, the last <laughs> couple of months. Um, Brian more so, since his, his timeline starts before mine. Yeah. Um, but we thought we'd share a, a bit of a case study on our recent launch and how we can put this all into practice. Yeah, so um, we uh, recently launched a, a product called Battle Cards, um, and we are, as Ellie mentioned, you know, we're a competitive intelligence uh, platform. Um, and so, uh, you know, why did it make sense for, for Crayon to launch Battle Cards? Well, this, um, you know, to back it up to the opportunity that we saw, we have a lot of customers that, um, you know, whether they're in, uh, you know, product marketing or there's a formal CI role, within their company or their, you know, part of the product organization, um, they are all tasked with enabling the rest of their organization, whoever's leading competitive intelligence, uh, with this information, right? So, uh, you know, competitive intelligence is, is great, but if you have this information and you're doing nothing with it, it doesn't matter. So one of the things that we constantly heard from our customers was, um, we, you know, it, we need better ways to take what we're learning with your product and, and get that in the hands of, you know, our, our major stakeholders, the, the biggest of which is sales. So we started to talk to our customers about that. And um, what, we, what we found was, you know, there, we looked at uh, existing solutions in the market. What are the strategies that most, um, you know, not only competitors take, but, you know, how, how are our customers really solving that problem of, of getting uh, information in front of their stakeholders and especially their sales team? And uh, what we found is, you know, th this concept of the battle card that they give to sales team, which shows you how to compete against uh, one of your competitors when, you know, you're in a deal where you're both vying for the same prospect, um, that, uh, that, that is a problem that... Um, uh, has never really been solved well. Uh, almost every organization has this concept of battle cards or you know this these uh, competitive bullet points, uh, but they're almost always immediately out of date. Businesses are just moving faster uh, than uh, that um, uh, than the whoever's managing competitive intelligence can uh, keep those those battle cards, those talking points up to date. So we thought um, I saw a couple of questions in the Q and A about. But, you know, how we're choosing opportunities, you know, the, the best opportunities that you can choose are the ones that uh, are going to build you, that uh, build on top of some distinct advantage that you have today and start to build a moat away from your competitors. So uh, even though we weren't in the, you know, uh, enablement business, uh, the fact that we collect all of this data uh, in our platform um, it gives us the unique opportunity to solve battle cards in a really interesting way. Um, so what we did was we took uh, let's go to the slide. Uh, we took um, uh, what we decided was our hypothesis was that uh, if we created battle cards, we allowed our customers to create battle cards in their own language, and we told them when they got out of date because we're collecting this intelligence and we can tell you know when there's been a pricing change when. Uh, a competitor has changed their position and when they've launched a new product, we could just tell them, uh, you know, based on the, the content of their battle card, they could keep this up to date very easily all the time. So it becomes more of an iterative approach where you have something that's always up to date and the sales team has access to it and can even give you feedback on it versus something that's a static asset that you're handing out and two weeks later they're all out of date and nobody trusts the information that you have there. So. That builds on top of, you know, in our opinion, of course, uh, our unique advantage of this data-driven approach to competitive intelligence. 
So it's uh, unlike, you know, kind of the, the industry analyst approach. Um, so we had this idea. Uh, we didn't immediately just ship it and walk away. What we looked at was, you know, uh, uh, gathering up a bunch of beta customers. We, we had 12. Uh, during the beta period, we made hundreds of small changes to make sure that their workflow worked, to make sure that the intelligence that they were seeing uh, when, a, when a change happened um, was working really well. Um, and we went through the full cycle. We uh, found that we had, you know, some assumptions that were spot on, others that we had to um, uh, that we had to revisit and adjust for, and eventually launched um, uh, just uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. The other thing I'd add about kind of this uh, opportunity assessment and then testing phase was uh, one of the I'd argue that the biggest competitors we had. This was an, an existing activity that a lot of companies were doing already with our product, uh, but they were doing it manually with arguably free tools. Yes, you pay for Microsoft Office and you pay for uh, a wiki and whatnot, but to them it was essentially free. So it's important to note that you know some of your direct competitors can be free solutions, which then poses interesting challenges on the, the pricing model evaluation, uh, mm -hmm. but they're no less competitive, they're no less important for you to evaluate. And so I know we collected uh, you know, so many different examples, uh, uh, artifacts from customers, how they've been doing this before um, through these free solutions and learned a lot about how they've been doing it, what their challenges were um, to then address it through this new solution. And the other thing that um, uh, I actually just thought of as you were, you were speaking, Brian, that the sales enablement uh, category is a very, uh, it's a pretty robust one. There are a lot of companies that are, are tackling this, but not actually this aspect of it. Um, means that there are a lot of great complementary opportunities for us too, but um, they're uh, kind of an evaluation of that landscape show that, oh, there is this differentiated, there is this gap uh, first and foremost, but then there's also a, a nice differentiated angle for us that I think can factor into the, the fact that it was a good opportunity for us to, to tackle. Yeah, and it's almost, you know, the, the there's going to be, you know, this, this happened to be an example where there's a lot of differentiated value because we're taking a different approach to this problem um, because we're, you know, we're taking a data-driven approach. The best examples of those are, you know, probably Uber, Uber where, you know, it, you before, you know, it's easy, we all, we all jump in an Uber whenever we need to go anywhere now, but, um, you know, prior to that, your alternative was taxis, and it was a pain to go flag them down, people would jump in front of you, it's kind of a nightmare, and somebody, you know, standing on a sidewalk said, what if I could just, you know, click a button in my app and stand there and have a driver pick me up and drop me off and all the payments taken care of, and there's this trust relationship and I get where I want, and there's, you know, an abundance of drivers, like that is a, really interesting insight that's a completely different approach. Uh, you're going to come across those uh, that, you know, you have this insight. You're also going to come across ones where, you know, maybe it is a catch-up feature. Maybe it is that Instagram stories example where um, you're plugging a gap that your competitor is filling. And, and both of those are fine. I mean, I, we try to focus as much as we can on differentiated value, but there are opportunities to kind of plug gaps uh, you know, in advantages that your competitors have that you're only going to know by kind of doing the diligence uh, across the board. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, Brian did start to touch on some of 
the or shared back some of the messaging and the differentiation that we found through this process, which definitely factored into our, our pre-launch uh, pre-launch phase. Um, aside from the the pricing as well, you know, we looked at all the pricing, including the free tools, but also really expensive ones, and um, found that found a pricing model, found that the existing pricing models actually didn't fit what we were um, fit our approach. So we were able to differentiate on, on that factor as well. Uh, we were much more focused on uh, getting you more value per company in your space, uh, and so we ended up factoring that into our or fitting that into our existing pricing model, um, making some tweaks there. Um, but kind of looking at the, the different approaches there. Um, and then um, a lot of that competitive audit factored a lot into our messaging. So uh, you heard some of that live <laughs> already in terms of uh, fitting in with the, the, what was already our differentiator. So we were able to, with a new product and a new uh, kind of section of our suite, you could say, uh, it was able to reinforce something that was already a differentiator, which I felt like was a, a nice win-win. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the messaging, or a lot of the messaging around existing solutions was either around being, well, PowerPoint and, and Confluence don't promote that you can create battle cards anyhow, um, but battle card solutions, they really focus on the creation aspect, uh, kind of the formatting and things like that, uh, but there are a lot of challenges around that too that we found with existing solutions. So. Um, we were really able to, to lean into our differentiation around the Intel data um, that was feeding the battle cards. And so that was already a, a kind of a core pillar of our messaging. We were able to factor that into one of the, the three pillars for our uh, launch messaging um, for this product specifically. Um, we ended up, uh, you know, of course, creating a, a bunch of content as part of our launch. Uh, a lot of our competitors are not as active on the content marketing front, so we were able to kind of, uh, again, lean into one of our strengths and, and create some more educational content on that front. Um, and uh, as the other piece I'll mention is that uh, a lot of that external, or a lot of the materials that were used externally was also used internally. Um, I find that when training sales, as much, as, as much repetition as you can get, the better, both internally, but then even if you can match it externally, because then there's no disconnect between what they're saying and what the prospects are hearing. Um, and so we incorporated a lot of that same messaging into internal training. Um, our internal training also included training on the competing solutions and both their strengths and their gaps um, so that they could really understand that context also builds up their own uh, excitement for the product, I find, um, and then they can, you know, translate that into conversations uh, with with prospects. Um, we also, this is a bit meta, but we updated our own battle cards <laughs> uh, to include the new product as well as how we compete uh, pretty directly uh, on this aspect. Um, and then uh, we wanted to go one step further and, and thought through what does a competitor switch campaign look like. Uh, and so we launched a quick start program offer that involved uh, importing or, or, or up, uh, translating your existing battle cards into our solution. Um, so we wanted to help give that extra boost uh, with an eye towards where people were coming from. All right, um, and then launch and post-launch. So we're, we're in this now. Um, so we, we're still gathering the metrics on this front. Um, but uh, so far, the metrics that are in are more on the lead generation front. Uh, we certainly measured the impact on or the achievement of the lead gen goals. We had a top of the funnel 
uh, kind of lead generation focused offer, which is battle card templates. We overachieved on that goal, which we're really excited about. Uh, we also had something more uh, middle of the funnel, um, just requesting information on the product. Um, we, we overachieved on that as well. Um, and we're still in the kind of post-launch phase of working with customers. Of course, we had a ton of initial, uh, we had the beta customers as well as the initial interest, and now we're working on the, the product usage and turning both the product and marketing efforts towards uh, that lens. Um, but so far, we've seen a lot of great uh, anecdotal feedback. Right? We wanna, we're waiting on the more volume feedback uh, to see the impact there. And um, seen some, some great re-engagement. So not just new, not just old, but also re-engagement of the in-between. Um, so that's been great to see. Okay. All right, I know we're, we're close on time, so I'll just, uh, we'll recap here and get to as many questions as we can. Even if we don't have time for your questions, please send them in. Um, we'll follow up with as many as we can after the webinar. Um, so I really encourage you to, to share your questions. So we've been spending this whole time talking about how competitive intelligence can be used in your product launch because while we all think that our newest product is the best thing since, I didn't want to say sliced bread, so let's go with cream soda. Uh, the reality is it's not the only product out there. Even when you think about, uh, even if you don't have direct competitors, there are indirect competitors, there are free solutions out there, there are workarounds, there are so many different ways that someone can not go with your product. And so uh, you need to understand that context. And there's a lot that you can learn through that. And ultimately using CI in your product launch means identifying what those gaps are in existing solutions. It, I, it means uh, understanding what those market needs are and getting a lot of great input for what that opportunity means for you. It means crafting a product launch campaign that stands out, that's differentiated, but that also resonates with the market because you know so much more about them and where they're coming from. And then ultimately it means measuring success so that you know what truly is a success in the context of what other companies are seeing, what your market share is, what your win rates are, and uh, being able to send set goals that are both achievable and uh, uh, you know, attainable and aggressive um, so that you can uh, continue to grow your business. Um, of course, leverage CI at every step. We talked a lot about this today. Um, uh, instead, I will jump right to the Q&A and also give a quick plug that we mentioned a bunch of resources throughout, uh, or we have related resources on the topics that we discussed. Uh, we threw them all on a page so that you can have access to them, articles, webinars, et cetera. Uh, crayon.co slash pragmatic. And uh, if there are more requests, we might even add more to it after the call. Um, at this point, cool. let's Thank dive you. into some questions. Thanks a lot, uh, Brian and Ellie. This was really helpful. Um, just want to reiterate, too, that any questions we don't get to, I do know we have a hard stop in about three minutes, so thanks for bearing with us. Um, we'll hit on a couple of the most popular uh, themed questions here, but we will also be uh, working with Pragmatic to answer these additional questions in a podcast, too, to make sure that uh, we, we touch on any of this and also anything that we've learned since our recent launch, too, we will make sure to incorporate there. So getting right to it, one question I uh, heard a couple times is, um, as far as presenting the competitive intelligence and analysis, how do you present this to your team? So is there a, a piece of, like, a certain type of report, or um, how do you get them into, uh, do you get this, this data into the right hand? Yeah, I think it's, um, uh, it, so it, de it depends on the group. There's uh, a lot of different um, uh, groups, like sales prefers things in, in one format, uh, you know, an executive report might be more um, 
you know, a lot of our customers do those quarterly, and they kind of, you know, pull competitive intel from our product and, and put it together in a report, and we try to enable them as much as possible. For sales, they want more of a living, breathing uh, document that's always up to date so that then when they go into a competitive deal, they have up-to-date information so they know that what they're saying is accurate. So when they're, you know, trying to poke holes in a competitive solution, they know that those holes haven't been filled previously uh, and they're just, you know, those, those things are going to fall flat. So, um, you know, I think typically there's one person that, that man one person or one group within an organization that manages that and it really, you know, depends on the, uh, on, mm -hmm. on the team that they're communicating with how they get it. Yeah. Uh Totally agree. I won't reiterate what you just said. Um, I will, but I will say that for some audiences, especially sales, that's been one of my biggest stakeholders throughout my career. Uh, it can sometimes help to have a variety of different uh, mediums. So we did, you know, our battle card that's living and breathing that they always have access to. We also did a live training. We also did a, a role play interactive training. Uh, we also did an email. Um, you know, I've worked with teams where it's like, all right, but the executive team, they just want like a couple of bullet points in an email. Or the services team, they would love to do a live training, but they're on the phones all day, so you, they, it needs to be something that's, uh, that they can read on, in off hours. So think about the, the team and, and tailor the content to them, right? It's not like everyone needs all of it, so think through their use case and tailor the, the intel that you're sharing to their uh, situation. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Um, and I guess that we could do one last really quick 30-second answer to a question here um, about um, uh, how much time do you think should be spent on uh, on doing this kind of before launch day? You know, do you guys do this on a weekly basis? Do you look at this kind of periodically throughout the launch process? Uh, maybe a quick answer on that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, throughout the, I'd say, you know, you're looking at all the competitive intel throughout the launch process and on launch day, uh, the most important thing uh, that you can have there is metrics that define success, right? So what are the things that, uh, what are the numbers that are going to change if this thing is successful? And um, you want to be measuring against those to make sure that all of your assumptions, all of your hypotheses, all of your research isn't going to waste um, and that you're, you're really hitting the mark. Well, thanks, guys. Um, I appreciate everybody's uh, input today. Um, I'm going to turn it back to the folks over Pragmatic to wrap up briefly. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you, Ellie and Brian, for this great session, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Don't forget to join us next month for our last webinar of the year on December 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern, when we will be joined by Pragmatic Marketing's own VP of Products, Steve Johnson, to discuss business plans. We're looking forward to another great discussion, so make sure you mark your calendars. Uh, well, that does it for this edition of Pragmatic Live. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks.